This podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to Elders past and present and acknowledge their ongoing connection to land, waters and culture. Colonization and genocide are ongoing processes that continue to this day. Sovereignty was never ceded. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Ozpol Snack Pod, the podcast that's kind of like kale chips, actually quite a lot better than you expected. Uh, my name's Noon, and with me is my co-host. <laughs> hey, back with snack. I'm not sure that I like kale chips as much as you do, Noon, but I'm glad that you have such a high opinion of our podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> thanks, everyone, for uh, listening in. Uh, and I especially want to say thanks to our new patrons, Katie, Perno, and Kaya. Thank you all so much. Or Kaya, don't know how to say that, sorry. Um, thank you all so much for supporting the show. That's really lovely. Um, you will get access to a monthly bonus episode, plus our Discord, plus some other stuff. We actually have two bonus episodes coming out this month, and we just did one where we uh, flicked through Gina Reinhardt's joke book. So if that sounds like a um, psychological torture f- technique that you would like to subject yourself to, head on over to Patreon, give us a buck. Thank you so much. Allow us to suggest not doing that. But support us. Do support us. <laughs> yeah, do support yeah. us. Also, Noon, I've got, I've, just quickly, I've got another one. Okay, yep. A show that's just like kale chips. Bit dry, but pretty nutritious. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, how do you like that one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Not good enough to come back in off the rebound? Oh, no, sure. No, that's fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm in for it. <laughs> I, I like, yeah, no, I think the, the, the joke intro concept is good. It, and, you know, this is probably going to be called Craig Cayley cancelled. Um, but, you know, we'll see. Oh, but I was, I was trying to you do a Cayle yeah, no, joke, smart. you know. Yeah, that's so, good. We'll see how we keep it up. Um, also, today is uh, the way we're recording, probably not the day you're listening, unless you have access to a time machine somehow, is the 1st of May, which is International Workers' Day. So, um, shout-outs, comrades, let's smash capitalism. Uh, it's also Beltane, or if you're a nerd living in Australia, Sarwin. So, you know, happy Halloween to all of you nerds. Um, yeah. What's uh, Sarwin? Uh, people are going to get mad when I'm like, it's basically Halloween, but it's basically Halloween. Uh, so May Day <laughs> in the Northern Hemisphere is the start of spring, which is Beltane. But because we're in the Southern Hemisphere, neo-pagans tend to keep the seasonal holiday rather than the calendar. So, Oh, why didn't you just say it was neo-pagan stuff? Would have been right with you. Cool. <laughs> uh, Let's do our first uh, segment. Yeah. Fashy Australia. So, um, heads up, I am going to um, mention rape a few times in this. There's no graphic details, but um, we will be using that word. So, if you want to skip ahead, we'll put times in the show notes. So, a few weeks ago, Peter Dutton said he was going to start sending defamation <clears throat> cases to people on social media. And I think we talked about it at the time, um, but for the record, we, I just want to be absolutely clear, our only statement about Peter Dutton on behalf of Ozpol Snackpod is that he smells wonderful or I would say even enchanting. Um, but yeah, he... Uh, Fresh baked potatoes straight out the oven. There's no better smell. No. Um, he uh, compelled Larissa Waters, Greensend Larissa Waters, to publicly retract her comments about him being a rape apologist. 
um, which she did on Twitter. And now he's served notice of legal action against Shane Bazzi, who's a refugee advocate who, amongst other things, blogs on Medium and um, talks about how fucked up the government's refugee policy is. Uh, and he also, you know, um, talks about people doing cool activism and supporting refugees mm-hmm. and so on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's not, despite what his lawyers say, a, quote, random on Twitter. He's actually a political enemy of Dutton, who Dutton is targeting specifically to make his life difficult, as with Waters, except obviously Larissa Waters has, like, governmental lawyer access and whatever. Yeah. Maybe a rando on Twitter is more like a description of the uh, position he occupies in terms of his power relationship. Absolutely correct. Like, yes. To Dutton, yes. He, is just, he is just a random on Twitter. I do see why the... Lawyers are saying that, and you're right. Like technically, yeah. that is absolutely correct. But I like, it, I'm pointing out to our listeners that he's actually a political victim, not yes, not a random stranger. Yeah. But I do realize how it yeah. kind of sounds like I'm saying he deserves it or something, or like you know. I mean, yeah, you do see like lots and lots of people trying to bait Dutton into suing them on Twitter <laughs> at the moment. But yeah. it's like, no, he's picked out somebody who is who has been like consistently out opposing his policy, and now he's yeah. just decided he can be targeted with defamation. Yeah. And obviously, it's, not, it's someone he who... He hasn't been chosen at random, but right. he is a random. Yes, nice, nice. That's a, I like that distinction, Zach. Yeah, very Is good. that... Yeah. Sorry, I, is I'm not dialectics? trying to call you a random, Shane. <laughs> Sorry, it's not... <laughs> this is dialectics. Mm. Um, but anyway, so uh, <laughs> I thought I'd just read the statement from Bazzi's lawyers. It's quite brief, but um, I think explains the story better than I would. So, O'Brien criminal and civil solicitors have been instructed to vigorously defend defamation proceedings brought by the Minister for Defence, Peter Dutton, against our client Shane Bazzi. Mr. Bazzi expressed an honest opinion on Twitter that Peter Dutton was a, quote, rape apologist. This opinion was based on a number of publicly reported statements that had been attributed to Mr. Dutton, statements that were about matters in the public interest and would undoubtedly provoke a number of different opinions, including that expressed by Mr. Bazzi. A robust and vibrant democracy like ours should cultivate and encourage a diverse array of expressions of opinion on matters of public interest. We believe that the decision of Mr. Dunn to sue Mr. Bazzi for having this opinion raises genuine concerns about freedom of speech in Australia. Freedom of speech is a value that our firm will strongly defend. Yeah, yeah, your firm. Great. Uh, While there must be some limits to that freedom, we'll always defend the rights of people to hold opinions, especially against politicians. Those who are elected to public office must expect to be the subject of adverse opinions, and society is entitled to expect a greater level of tolerance from such persons. For a politician to use the defamation law to stifle the expression of a public opinion is cause for real concern. We look forward to defending Mr. Bazzi and airing our concerns in court. So I think that pretty much sums it up. Um, yeah, it seems like a pretty legitimate opinion to hold and the sort of person who shouldn't be suing people for opinions. Yeah, not super comfortable with people who are already some of the most powerful in the... I mean, that, but that's the the entire purpose of defamation law right and it's like is to stop the peasants from criticizing the leaders yeah so even like mounted defense right shane is having to conduct a crowdfunding campaign totally whereas like peter dutton like even if he loses this would be a drop in the ocean for him well he's probably not putting any of his personal money up regardless of if he wins or loses yeah yeah there you go yeah it's um you know a random versus the minister for defense. defense. Yeah. 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 So as Zach said, there's a GoFundMe to help him fight these charges and to pay his legal costs. So we will put a link to that in the show notes and please support them if you can. Um, and I thought we just finish out with this cartoon from Fiona Katowskis, uh, which was published in Eureka Street. 
Um, and it's a pretty bleak picture. It's a cartoon, um, and Peter Dutton is standing outside a, like, refugee camp. It's clearly meant to be on Manus or Nauru. There's, like, an island, and there's, a, like, a refugee inside the cage looking extremely upset. And Peter Dutton is leaning against it in his nice suit with his friend the judge next to him, saying, You think you've got it tough? People are being mean to me on Twitter. Which, yeah. Was it Coot Coodle that said to you, mm. uh, the memes you send to me via Messenger are far more boomer than the ones you post in public? Yes. And uh, <laughs> and I said, well, the stuff you post is pretty boomer. Uh-huh. This is, <laughs> and there we have it, boomer. pals. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a political you know, cartoon. It, it's a political cartoon from the newspaper. Yeah, like it, I didn't take this the... photo, by the way. Uh, just just to be clear, this, no, I can I, tell. I got this online. Yeah, yeah. I know yeah, you yeah, can. I know quite, you can, Zach. Yeah, it's, it's quite high quality. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I'm. Just, I mean, what listeners... are political cartoons if not the original boomer meme? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is, you know, there isn't a better description. But yeah, I mean. Well, speaking all, of boomer memes, another, there is a neat illustration of the like, situation. Not <laughs> yeah. just. Yeah, not just the power imbalance between Dutton and the person that he's suing, but also, like, that ultimately this is over an already subjugated group of people who he is directly responsible for immiserating. Yeah. And he's criticizing, he's he's trying to sue people for saying that he's playing into misogynist tropes about people misreporting sexual assault. Mm, mm -hmm. Like, for political gain, like, I just... I think there's also a, a, an article that's been going around saying that he said, I don't care about rape as well. So, yeah. Um, I think it was from a couple yeah, of years ago. I mean, but like, his, you know, there's, his there's comments clearly... After the Britney Higgins stuff as right, well, you right. know, that he called it a, a, he, sheds, a he said, she said situation. Exactly. Yeah, know. yeah. Like, it's I don't think anybody's different. under any... Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, anyway, whatever. We're not legal boys. We're, we're, we're not trying to get sued. Uh, but, uh, yeah. By, by Peter Dutton, we are trying to get sued by Gina Reinhardt. That's, yeah. Listen different to our bonus scenario. episode. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I think it's very obvious that she committed massive copyright infringement mm-hmm. uh, with that book. But anyway, now it's time to move on. Shit post of the week. Uh, so, as listeners will be familiar with, there is, uh, there are shit posts and shit posts, mm, and we got mm. one of each this week, mm-hmm. which are kind of coming at you in a one-two. Is a posting combo. Yeah, everybody's favorite posting combo. Yeah, Craig Kelly MP and Ospol shit poster Will Connor, woo, woo, woo. Uh, multiple shit post of the week award winner. Yeah, I feel like Will got shit post of the week just a couple weeks ago. So anyway, for so, a Craig Kelly thing. Anyway, yeah, potentially. Uh, look, our story starts with everybody's favorite Australian. Independent MP and QAnoner. That's true. He's independent now. I keep forgetting, but yes. Oh yeah, he's a he's a crossbencher, um, and uh, he's recently also had his Facebook page taken down for yeah. COVID misinformation, which like should have happened a long, long time ago. But it's good hence, that it finally hence the has. title. He's been cancelled. Craig Kaylee cancelled. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Um. I said to Noom, one day we're going to have to come up with a joke that isn't based on KKK, but today is not that day. I so, was thinking we could do it, you know, with the correct letters, so it's CKC, but it reminded me of um, in O Brother Where Art Thou, when the governor is talking about a secret, uh, a certain secret society. Um, I always <laughs> thought that, yeah, it was a very good joke. <laughs> yeah, anyway, go it's, on. Uh, 
Solid joke, solid movie. All right. So Craig's been tweeting a lot. <laughs> this tweet may technically have come before his uh, uh, cancellation. <laughs> no, I can't say cancel without thinking about KKK. But that, so anyway, he's been tweeting a lot. He tweeted. What type of world do we live in today when the woke try and cancel Dr. Zeus while Cyberpunk 2077 is all the rage where, quote, four types of damage can be inflicted and resisted, physical, thermal, EMP, and chemical, clearly promoting great woke wholesome values? Question mark, question mark. (laughs) There's uh, so many questions raised in this tweet that I... Don't even really I'm know fucking, where to start. I, mean, I love this tweet. It's got everything. It's so funny. So the idea, like, is uh, I, I love the, 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 the calculation <laughs> is the more types of damage you can inflict within a game, the the worse like, the, the values more, are. The less, yeah, the le- the less values it has. Yeah, exactly. But also, That's the, why is Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven a woke game? Um, or no, he's posting that, um, oh, he's saying like, like he's posted it with an article about how it's had huge sales in that, Australia. Um, 400,000 copies have been bought in Australia and like, look, nobody's trying to cancel this extremely popular game because you can I damage see. people with EMPs in it. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, well, this, which would also, by the way, the Dr. Zeus thing, which is, you know, it's ridiculous it, and false. It's, it's like, it's, it's. it's yeah, it's a complete fucking false flag. It's a it's a cancel culture false flag. I love it when conserv no, well, I mean I don't, but I enjoy being angry about it when conservatives are like um we free enterprise businesses should be able to do what they want and then businesses are like we're going to do something progressive and they're like oh, this is terrible. Tell me, who's who's forcing you to do this? Uh, yeah. Who's canceling you? <laughs> yeah. The, the Dr. Zeus estate. Um Nobody? No one is buying these old, horribly racist books. We're just going to stop printing them. I felt uncomfortable about my racist granddad. <laughs> and then they made bank off all the boomers being like, don't worry, we'll come to your rescue anyway. <laughs> yeah. And buy green eggs and ham. Uh, anyway, Will kind of posted some crunchy OC in the Ospol shit posting Facebook group. Uh it's captions from, and I said to Noon <laughs> before we were recording, I am very comfortable being wrong about X-Men. Mm-hmm. Um, so I may be about to be wrong about X-Men, but um, I can assure you I don't care. <laughs> so it's three frames from, I believe, the movie X-Men Apocalypse. Bad guy's name is Apocalypse. The top frame is him, and he's labeled Dr. Zeus. <laughs> then in the second frame is Jean Grey, a.k.a. Phoenix, I think. And she's delivering... Four types of damage. <laughs> Physical, thermal, EMP, and chemical. And the last frame is Dr. Zeus getting just completely obliterated like the skin is <laughs> melting off his scalp from the four types of damage. Um, it's beautiful, uh, beautiful meme. Phenomenal stuff. High quality shit from Will Connor. Congratulations on your win again. Yep. And uh, <laughs> Craig Kelly fucking sucks shit that you can't uh, post on Facebook anymore. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. Thanks for that, Zach. All right, now we're going to do... It was the best of takes. It was the blurst of takes. You stupid monkey. <laughs> so this is yet again going to go to Andrew Laming, um, who for the first time in my short and kind of oh, great. inattentive I, career... I love having to learn more about this guy every week. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, I, 
I learned recently that he is scandal-plagued. Uh, that's a fun couple of words. Uh, I've never seen someone described as scandal-plagued, <laughs> I think, in the news. So, or if I have forgotten about I it. But it's, it's good. Fair. Yeah. Basically, consistent rolling scandals. Somewhat like the coronavirus. For Andrew Leamy. Yeah. There's no end in sight. Um, yeah, so... Da- daily rolling scandal average <laughs> of one. <laughs> yeah, at least. Um, 100% of Andrew Leamings are currently embroiled in scandal. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so uh, he said a few things this week, and pretty much any and all of them deserve blessed take, so feel free to take your pick about which one it actually deserves the award. It, I, I, I think it's a safe bet to give it to, to him in general, though. So here's from the ABC. Scandal-plagued liberal backbencher Andrew Leeming says that he has been diagnosed with ADHD, though he insists the condition in no way excuses some of the behavior he's, uh, that has derailed his long political career. Uh, he says that, but then he also really heavily implies that it does excuse it and that no one should bring that up ever again. Um, and also that he never did anything wrong in the first place. Yes. We're not going to try and diagnose him or anything or comment on it. Uh, like, he may have ADHD, he might be bullshitting, who knows, like, whatever, I'm not, we wouldn't know, and, like, plenty of people have ADHD and aren't diagnosed, and he could well, so great. Um, but I do want to point out, which is something that, again, I've I've... This discourse I've gotten from other more informed people about this, um, but for most people, an adult ADHD diagnosis is a horribly prolonged process that will take like months, if not years. Um, but like uh, some friend of Lemings was like, "Hey, um, I see you're scandal plagued. My friend is a specialist, and we'll see you at short notice." And like, good, everyone should have accessible medical specialists at short notice. But hmm. Isn't Especially it if it can how... get them out of political strife. Yeah, but it's like, oh, contender for, like, creep of the decade, Andrew Leeming mm. gets an overnight diagnosis, whereas, you know, people on Centrelink get Some kicked off Centrelink because they have ADHD and then can't, get, you, you know, like, it's, it's terrible. It's just gross. It's a gross system. It's a gross system where it he's is. still powerful. Um, or ever was, but especially that it's still powerful. Anyway. Yeah, um, but the, like, the the political, like, people seeking a medical diagnosis that is going to be helpful p- for political purposes are prioritized over people with fewer resources. Like, that's just... Exactly, exactly, yeah. No, who's, who's looking at that and being like, hmm, functional medical system. Uh-huh. Love the way that this works. Yep. So, um, but that's not the only thing that's come out about Andrew Leeming this week. So here's a quote from... Um, Sam Maiden at news.com.au, and I'm going to do my um, cadet journalist voice, uh, like radio broadcaster voice for this. So let's see how we go. Oh, good. <coughs> I don't know if you can hear it, but I'm rubbing my hands together in excitement. When Scott Morrison ordered the Liberal backbencher to undergo empathy training over a string of public scandals, he was originally expected to go to a rehab-style boot camp interstate. But the intensive empathy training the Prime Minister ordered Dr. Leeming to undertake appears to have been downgraded to an online course during the Brisbane lockdown. <laughs> How was that? Fucking superlative. Thank you. Yeah. High quality, high quality stuff. So uh, the Prime Minister was asked about this and he said... Look, at the time, he said he would arrange to undertake appropriate training. As you know, Andrew has also advised that for some period of time now, he's been affected by ADHD. Look, Andrew is not running for the LNP at the next election. The LNP have made that decision. And in the meantime, I expect him to serve his community that elected him on many occasions and to do that job between now and the election. 
Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, so he has been disendorsed by the Liberal Party. He's also said he's not going to recontest. Um, why the fuck is he still I in just, Parliament? That line from Morrison about, you know, oh, he was elected by his constituents to do this job, and so he's going to do that job. It's just so fucking uh-huh. piss weak. Uh-huh. Absolutely fucking piss weak. As if that logic would hold for a Say, political opponent of Morrison. Christine Holgate. Not that... <laughs> I want to comment on the well, events of that story, but like, yeah. Who also, yeah, I mean, wasn't elected, but it's not that, you know, Andrew Leeming was not elected to be a fucking creep. Yes. Yes. At I think that's not in the first instance. Anyway, go on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was a liberal candidate. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, um, yep. uh, but there's yet another terrible take slash thing about Andrew Leeming this week, which is that Fantastic. he went off. RN Drive with your favorite journalist, Zach, Patricia Carvelis, to talk about ADHD. Like, I feel like you emphasize me hating PK. I don't hate her. I just, you know. It really <laughs> impacted my psyche when you, like, <laughs> shredded the party room to pieces and was like, that's why we need to do a good podcast. Um, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. I'm not disagreeing. I'm just, it just affected and me. P- All I'm saying is P- PK does some really good journalism. You know, it was just just happened to be being frustrated with the party room that spurred me to do my own podcast. Okay, mm-hmm. that's a, mm-hmm. <laughs> I just want to just want to draw a slight distinction. That's totally fine. All right, Zach, why don't we uh, listen to a little bit of that train wreck interview? Andrew Lemming, I'm Back saying, with you, Pete. What are, you, are you actually sorry? Why? Because it's it's embarrassed you and it's politically convenient, or do you realize you've done the wrong thing? Oh, well, you keep asking me the same. Patricia, uh, uh, question PK, I've I've sort of answered it already. Um, It's up for other people to decide the merits of any dispute. Um, If there's a complaint, it needs to be lodged to the authorities. That's never happened. So you can have your trial by media. I'm happy to answer questions. Political opponents will say things. If I've made them feel bad, I will deeply and genuinely say sorry. And I think most reasonable people looking at it appreciate that in all these public debates... People can feel harassed and upset by blunt and honest answer. It doesn't mean that one lacks empathy. I think we can all improve our empathy. I think we should all be doing empathy courses. But uh, my answer is quite simple. Uh, It is possible for 1% of Australians out there to also be struggling with something like ADHD. And my focus over the next 12 months will be to make sure that um, as many Australians as possible that don't realise they're living with it are given an opportunity to have someone tap them on the shoulder and say, have you thought about speaking to someone and getting some help? The police haven't pursued the case, but that doesn't mean that this Brisbane mother, Crystal White, was happy with this picture of her bending down to fill a fridge with soft drinks at her work. She said her underwear was visible in the photograph. How did you think that was appropriate to take that picture? I just don't know how many times I've got to tell you, PK, this is subject to defamation proceedings and it involves your own network. I would really be moving on. I've made it very clear to you what happened and I'd suggest you pick a new topic or else you just make it more difficult for yourself. Are you threatening me? I'm suggesting that we talk about the reason why I promised to phone you and take your call. That was to discuss ADHD. You've rapidly bounced off that into areas I've made it very clear um, and given you notice that this is subject to legal proceedings, and I suggest you take note of that. Well, there's a fair amount in there. Yeah, that's about a third of the interview. Uh, he he hung up shortly, like shortly after that, uh, like mm. uh, roughly halfway into the the interview. But yeah, two things I want to address. Yes, there. please. Um, one, 
that he says that he will deeply and genuinely apologize to anybody who feels harassed by him. Yep. Uh, well, we know that that's a fucking lie because the last time he apologized, he quickly later posted on Facebook that he didn't even know why he was apologizing in the first place. And also because, like, literally in the same breath, he's like, I'm not going to apologize. I didn't harass that woman. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> and then also that, like... Suddenly, oh, I've been diagnosed for ADHD, and now suddenly I'm a champion for people who have undiagnosed yeah. ADHD. Like, oh, I'm just going to completely pivot my political career, which has 99% consisted of harassing people on the internet, to suddenly being this bastion of representation mm -hmm. for people with undiagnosed mental health issues. Like, who, who the, so what, just, who does he think is buying this shit? It's totally, just, yeah. Well. He, one of my favorite constant political fuck-ups is thinking that journos are only going to ask you about the thing that you said you want to talk about. Like, like see, where has that <laughs> how long ever have you happened? been in Parliament, man? Like, yeah, is this see, day all two? I want to, all I want to talk about is this one thing that I have decided Doesn't incriminate is make me, me look in the good. slightest. Yeah, yeah, and I'm outraged, outraged that you would bring up something that makes me look bad because I specifically told you I didn't want you to do that. The, I think the other thing that really, like, you know, <laughs> so Noon, you are somebody who listens to the radio yeah. sometimes. I am not, mm -hmm, really. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't listen to ABC. No. I, you know, I, I, I read, you know, I do much more reading than I do listening. And so I don't often actually hear, like, on-air interviews with politicians, only when you kind of, like, I'm like this is one you them, basically. Out. Yeah, yeah. And it just reminds me of, like, oh, my God. You know, like, just the, like, how pathetic the level of discourses on totally. this stuff it's just very embarrassing L little teaser for our upcoming bonus episode um which is going to be about uh where the hi the history of the phrase responsible economic management comes from um mm -hmm. but i've been reading a bunch of old pm speeches and they give really intricate detail about specific parts of the economy you know they'll be like mm. this industry in this suburb is going well this different industry in the suburb over is going badly and we're going to do this to resource it and install this infrastructure to make it better for workers there. And, like, they've got really granular knowledge of, like, what's going on in the country. And I realize that's kind of, like, easier in the 1940s when there weren't 25 million people. But, like, I feel like well, that, probably I mean, those guys like a on radio... Mistake. Think yeah. about it. Well, that's very a, true. None of them are in politics anymore. Most of mm -hmm. them are dead. So mm -hmm. what mm -hmm. does that tell you about their political tactics? And also... Anytime you say you're going to do something, people can then hold you account to that. So you can see how today's modern politicians are uh, so much have more developed. effective and like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a new evolution it's true. of political discourse. Which, um, yeah, you know, you just make yourself into basically a sphere that can only can barely be perceived, and everything just bounces off your shell. You know, it's. <laughs> <laughs> I wish Andrew Laming was like that, but instead, there's even more fuck shit that I want to tell everyone about um, before we get oh, to the end of the great. story. Yeah. Um, so four women were interviewed on Four Corners this week, and there are some horrifying stories of him harassing and acting inappropriately towards them. These are new stories. There were two up mm. until now, and these are four more. Uh, I'm not going to go through all of them, but one of them was a 19-year-old girl who was wearing a name tag after her work shift with just her first name on it. And he found her on social media based on her name tag and started messaging her. And when she Jesus told her mum, this creepy old man is messaging me, uh, and she contacted him, like the mum contacted him, being like, please stop messaging my daughter. He said this. 
The office aims to add every young adult to the electorate Facebook profile by first seeking their full name and permission. With over 70 mutual friends in common, this 19-year-old adult was completely enthusiastic about receiving a friend request, which they were then at liberty to either accept or decline. Oh, that is disgusting. So oh, that's really, really gross. Horrifying. The 19-year-old, uh, everything I'm doing is perfectly legal. Like, uh, that's... And oh, she's oh, like... So gross. She goes to her mum and is like, I'm not happy about this and he says uh this adult was completely enthusiastic about it it's like that is not true that is a lie uh yeah and so since then since four corners came out um uh another woman has come forward saying and this is truly despicable especially in the context of this previous story um she saw laming filming her daughter's netball game and went over to ask if he had permission to film, to which he replied, I don't need permission. I'm a federal MP. I can take whatever photos or videos of whoever and whatever I want and use it however I want. Just to reiterate, he was filming 10-year-old girls playing netball. According to the ABC, Dr. Laming's daughter played netball at the courts but was not playing in the game he was filming. Um, and look, I am not a lawyer, but I'm pretty sure... Um, uh, taking whatever photos or videos of or whoever or whatever I want and using it however I want is not one of the official perks of being an MP. Boy, it's really... that's I didn't, didn't know about that. It's terrible. Um, also, his wife has done an interview recently. Um, basically, I haven't got the exact quote here. I don't necessarily feel like she should be brought into it a whole lot but she did do an interview in which she said it, it can't be true because i would have divorced him if it was true uh which is really sad wow yeah that's it's really that's just, sad it's just awful mm. and i don't know the, the 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 whole framing of this and we've got a potluck that we'll play next which yes. we'll get into this and it's not really you know something that you or I feel like we're in a position to get into, but the yeah. whole framing of this ADHD diagnosis in the news.com.au story, you know, it like, as if it provides useful context for all this other fucking horrible right. stuff is right. just so insulting, yeah. so demeaning. And irresponsible. And that article as irresponsible well. Irresponsible journalism. Massively irresponsible. And that article is peppered with these like candid, relaxing at home with mm. my family photos mm. of laming. Like looking human it and it looks respectful. like a fucking puff piece. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Which it is, it is. essentially. Mm. It is essentially. Mm. Anyway, so let's get into that. We have a potluck from a listener, uh, first of two potlucks this episode. Yeah. Uh, which is going to uh, tell us a little bit more about ADHD. Potluck, where you bring the snacks. I thought I'd take a second to explain what it's like experiencing ADHD. Because essentially what happened is uh, the medical institute, institution looked at a kid or an adult with ADHD and called the, it can't sit still disorder. And to experience it, <laughs> the experience of it is so different that it is pretty insulting that that's what it's called. One of the biggest misconceptions is that we're easily distractible all the time. And that's not true. I actually uh, didn't get diagnosed for ages because I was like, of course, I don't have ADHD. I could sit down and paint a whole picture over the course of eight hours and not look up once. And that doesn't fit into my idea of what ADHD is. 
Um, in reality, ADHD is like an on, on and off switch. You can get distracted, but you can also get intense hyper-focus. Um, the distractibility is a complicated thing for me because uh, people only really people without ADHD only really see it from the outside and the inside experience of it is very different. Um, you never notice when you're being distracted. You just sort of are in that, in that space. And the experience of that means that you never really know what day it is, what time it is. And the result of that is that, you know, you're always running late. You're always double booking yourself and you're always disappointing people. Um, Executive dysfunction is a huge part of it. Uh, it's different from procrastination because executive dysfunction is like it can hit at any time. Uh, I could be sitting on the couch and desperately wanting some ice cream and just not being able to get up and do it. Uh, this is also a common side effect for uh, um, people with anxiety. Um, yeah, okay, so um, rejection sensitivity, RSD, rejection sensitivity dysphoria is um, a big one as well. Um, basically, when someone criticizes me, it feels like I'm dying. Uh, I get a huge fight or fight response. I start sweating, I get very upset, I'm prone to crying. And again, these are, these are things that you can manage over time, but they, they never really go away because it's um, a brain chemistry disorder. Um, one of the biggest problems I have with uh, the medical institution is looking at our behaviors and saying that we have poor impulse control. When you have ADHD, your brain doesn't produce enough dopamine, essentially, is what it is. And as a result, you're constantly dopamine-seeking. So you're constantly buying things that you see in the shop to get a hit of, hit of dopamine. You're eating that second piece of cake because it gives you a hit of dopamine. You're taking risks because it gives a hit of dopamine. And so calling it impulse control is makes it sound like it's something within our, it's something that we should be better at. When it's not, it's dopamine seeking. And that dopamine seeking is something that you can medicate with. And that medication will bring up our levels of dopamine so that it resolves or helps, helps manage those systems, symptoms. At this point, you might have noticed that I haven't listed sexual or online harassment as any of the symptoms of ADHD. And there is a reason for that, but I'll let you get there on your own. What I will say is that there is no pill that fixes what Andrew Lemming has. Thank you very much, Fury, for that uh, extremely informative and helpful potluck. And uh, yeah, there's no pill for being a fucking wanker, unfortunately, mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. Andrew Lemming. Um, that's probably enough on that. Uh, it's more than enough. It's way too much. More than yes. enough. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. We'll move on now to our First Nation <clears throat> stories and. Um, I'll put a content warning here that we're going to use the name of names of Aboriginal people who have died and, and talk about deaths in custody. If you don't want to listen to that, we'll put time codes in the show notes so you can skip this section. Um, so there's a couple of stories that I wanted to touch on this week here. Mm -hmm. First up, I um, wanted to talk about Miss Do, a Yamachi woman who died in, uh, in police custody uh, in 2014, uh, I think it was, and... Uh, this week, the doctor who treated her before she died has been found guilty of professional misconduct. He's been given the maximum possible fine of $30,000 by the Medical Board of Australia. 
uh, but he will still be allowed to practice medicine. Um, so yeah, Miss Du was she was detained for not paying fines around three and a half thousand dollars she owed. Um, she, and she had been taken to hospital three times, um, mm. complaining of of uh, you know of pains. The sergeant in charge thought she was faking it and called her a junkie, amongst other things. Uh, the fact uh, fact was that her partner had broken uh, three of her ribs months earlier and she had gotten an infection for one of those broken ribs and that's what eventually killed her. Just an absolutely tragic, tragic story. So this doctor, uh, name of Vafa Nideri, declared Miss Du fit to return to prison. Right. Uh, and th- this uh, inquest this week found that his examination was inadequate. He didn't register her increased heart rate, didn't take her temperature despite her being described as warm by other staff, and he didn't order an X-ray despite it being the second time that Miss Du had come into hospital complaining of chest pain. Mm. Um, there was already a coronial inquest back in 2016 that had found that Miss Du was just horribly mistreated by both cops and medical staff and that both had been influenced by preconceived notions of Aboriginal people. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, racism is even at, at an official level has been recorded as, yeah. you know, uh, contributing to her death. Statement here from Carol Rowe, Miss Du's grandmother. The family are appalled that a fine and a reprimand imposed on a medical pr- practitioner is the price paid for letting a 22-year-old Aboriginal woman who had been a victim of domestic violence die of neglect in police custody without providing care or treatment. Um, mm-hmm. Carol Rowe later said to the ABC, he just got fined $30,000 when my granddaughter paid the biggest price. It's never going to be enough. It's not going to bring my granddaughter back. He's still carrying on with his career. Uh, and I wanted to finish up with uh, a quote from journalist Rangi Harini on, uh, 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 from some tw- a Twitter thread that she posted. She um, interviewed Miss Du's mm-hmm. family in the wake of this. Uh, ruling from the medical board. This poor family have been through the ringer and it's been less than seven years since Miss Dew's passing and less than five since the coronial inquest. They're passionate about getting justice, but at this point, I think we're all thinking, what does that look like? Carol, Miss Dew's nana, ended our call with Black Lives Matter. Make sure you tell them that Black Lives Matter. Um, the other... Uh, case that I wanted to touch on this week was uh, that of Wayne Feller Morrison. So there's a coronial inquest currently underway uh, into his death. He's a Wiradjuri, Kukata and Warangu man. Uh, And uh, yeah, his his inquest is happening this week and continuing into next week. He died in 2016 in South Australia after being pulled unconscious from a prison transport van. He had been restrained with hand and ankle cuffs and a spit hood. Oof. and was placed face down in the van. Uh, Indigenous journalist Alison Whitaker was uh, live tweeting the inquest. Here's a quote from her thread. Olson, an investigating officer, tells the court that the van in which Fella lost consciousness had been cleaned and had not been preserved as part of the crime scene before he arrived. With the exception of this incident, crime scene preservation by DCS has been very good. Is a quote from uh, that investigating officer. So the other um, sort of fucked thing about this particular inquest is the delays that have been forced by prison staff. So there was a two-year delay in the inquest when prison officers attempted to have the coroner 
removed from the inquest uh, for reasons of uh, basically him being biased against them. They weren't successful in that. But they were successful in trying to claim this thing called penalty privilege. So the prison officers that were in the van with Morrison are trying to use this clause, or I'm not exactly sure what the proper legal term for it is, but it essentially means that they won't have to give evidence that could subject them to a penalty such as losing their job. Right, so, right. You know, it's like, I think it's the, so the fourth or the fifth amendment in the US uh, Bill of yeah. Rights that you, you I can't be compelled to give evidence that would incriminate you or your spouse. Yes, mm. obviously we don't have the American constitution here. Yeah. Um, so it's not totally clear from what I've read about how this is going to work. Mm-hmm. I think it's a weird sort of South Australia specific law. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't think it's been used in this context before. Right. But um, in terms of what it means, here's Whitaker again. Coroner Bashir remarks, I don't think that anyone is under any illusions that any of the seven officers intend to give evidence about what happened in the van. Mm. So, you know, they have every intention of basically uh, removing themselves from having to give evidence here. So I think the process is that basically the officers need to be questioned as part of the inquest and they claim the privilege and then they have to apply to the Supreme Court in Western Australia for a ruling mm-hmm. on whether this actually mm-hmm. holds up. Interesting. Uh, we welcome any analysis from um, any legal head listeners who might Aiden, have any insight into up. this. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, that, th- those officers are supposed to give evidence on uh, Tuesday next week. So we'll be following sure. that and um, uh, uh, have, some, have some updates about that shortly. And uh, just before we move on, I wanted to also mention the two other deaths in custody that have mm. happened just in the last week. Yeah. Uh, two more Indigenous deaths in custody. So that's seven in two months now. It's horrifying. Just, yeah, it, it, just incomprehensible, basically. Um, one was a 37-year-old man at a Cessnock Correctional Centre in New South Wales. And there was another man in Port Phillip Prison in Victoria. It's early days. We don't know much about these uh, cases mm. yet. Uh, obviously, I mean, uh, as as Wayne Feller Morrison's inquest shows, like the, these uh, institutions keep a very tight lid on any information getting out before mm. they're ready for it to get out. Mm. Um, so we'll bring you any updates on those as they uh, as they develop. But uh, you know, this is obviously just it, it's an absolute crisis. Mm. It's an emergency. Mm. Like the 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 these these rates of of Indigenous people dying in custody are just. Um, just absolutely shocking. Um, so now we're going to move on to positivity corner. Uh, yeah. So to kind of try to uh, balance out all of that really uh, horrible and upsetting news um, around Indigenous deaths in custody, I wanted to talk about a couple of positive things uh, that are happening in um, First Nations communities. So. Great. Uh, one up the top here is that uh, Woolworths has backed down on a plan to build a massive Dan Murphy's bottle shop within walking distance of three dry indigenous communities in the Northern Territory. So wow. It's a fucked plan to begin with. Wow. Like, what the hell? You know, but the, the, the like absolutely brutal economic exploitation yeah, of, course, of, of course. indigenous communities, especially remote areas, is like well documented. Um, there's, you know, you can look up all sorts of fucked things like, you know, wine being cheaper than water and and that kind of thing. Like, you know, 
obvious like you know the I, we, I don't think we talk about it that much but there's this like very direct capitalist imperative to subjugate indigenous communities in this country like there are private corporations out there making absolute bank yeah like the shows. fucking um the indu card the, the cashless yeah. welfare card great it's example just like having a population that we can paternalize is an opportunity for companies to make money by treating people like shit so yeah mm-hmm. big time but this is an example of the community standing up and saying absolutely not so this this new store which is near uh three communities which i mentioned and i'm hopefully not going to butcher the pronunciation of these too much the three communities are bagot cooler look and minmarama park um and uh yeah the, the store was opposed has been opposed for years by local elders so sure. um uh, an elder from Bagot called uh, Helen Fejo Frith spearheaded the campaign against the store. Uh-huh. Quote from her here, a big mega store like Dan Murphy's would be the end of a lot of people. Yep. So this is a, you know, it's a, it's a really, really serious like health risk. Totally. That we're talking about here. Uh, there was also a petition organized by uh, an Instagram account called Black Business. That's B-L-A-K business, um, which uh, got 155,000 wow. signatures. Wow. And using this kind of community support, uh, they advocated for an independent review into whether the store should be built or not. Great. That review happened last year, and now the review has found that the store shouldn't go ahead, which has provided the necessary leverage to get Woolworths to back down. Amazing. So, yeah. Um, and and th- this campaign against uh, Woolworths was supported by uh, a coalition of uh, Indigenous health and medical services, social services bodies, um, and the Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education. These groups put out a joint statement, which I'll read a quote from. Mm-hmm. Woolworth's decision to abandon its plans to build an alcohol megastore near the community of Bagot in Darwin is an acknowledgement of the significant harm the store would cause the community. The statement read. Uh, this is a huge con- this is a huge community victory after years of poor consultation and lack of empathy for its concerns from one of the nation's biggest corporations. Mm. Uh, so the story's not totally over yet because there is a possibility that Woolworths might be able to pass on its liquor license to one of its subsidiary companies, which is soon what to become hell? like a separate entity. Yeah. Ugh. And then they get so, another go at it? Or like potentially. It's, they just it's, don't I, I, care about getting flack when it's called like banned jerfies or something? Like Yeah, and Endeavor, I think, is the is Woolworths like liquor or you know, like knockoff second liquor one. Yeah, subsidiary, basically. Huh. Uh, and it's soon going to become a separate entity. So, yeah, I mean, maybe without the... Um, maybe they're not as worried about bad press as Woolworths are. Mm, but mm. in any event, that's not confirmed yet. Sure, not sure. Happen. And in the meantime, this is a great win for these communities and, um, you yeah. know, a testament to the power of grassroots organizing and yeah. indigenous act- activism. That's seriously amazing. Um, yeah, very... Uh, a nice little good story there, feel-good story. And... Uh, another thing I wanted to touch on here is um, that uh, Indigenous people who were forcibly removed from their families as part of the Stolen Generations in the Northern Territory are bringing a multi-million dollar class action against the Commonwealth. So mm-hmm. the lead plaintiff is Eileen Cummings, who was kidnapped uh, in 1948. Got a quote here from the Sydney Morning Herald. Miss Cummings was not allowed to leave and was banned from speaking in Galagan and Rembanga languages and from observing traditional laws and customs, rituals, or practices. 
Her removal and subsequent detention in Darwin and on Croker Island amounted to a total restraint of her liberty, and she was unlawfully and falsely imprisoned by the Commonwealth, mm -hmm. the Statement of Claim says. So uh, almost every other state in Australia has offered at least some kind of financial compensation to people from the stolen generations. Interesting. Um, there's a $70 million scheme in New South Wales, $10 million scheme in Victoria, smaller amounts in, um, in Tasmania and South Australia, but so far, nothing in the Northern Territory. Yeah, so well, this is an attempt to try get to get, some, get yep. some compensation, which is not forthcoming from the Commonwealth thus far. So this class action is open to uh, First Nations adults who were taken from their families as children, uh, but it's also open to their family members who were traumatized uh, sure. by their removal. So huh. it's really good. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of early days um, mm -hmm. for this uh, story yet, but um, we'll be keeping an eye on that one. Um, always interesting to see the um, tools of the state, I suppose, turned against them yeah, in, uh, yeah. in an attempt to achieve some kind of uh, justice. Uh, and the last thing I wanted to touch on here um, this week... Uh, I went earlier this week to an event at Melbourne Knowledge Week, which is on this week. And I went, I went to this talk uh, that was, uh, I think it was called Healing Country. And it was about the potential of uh, cultural burning for, uh, yeah, repairing, you know, the environmental damage that had been mm. done to this continent. Mm. Um, so, yeah, there were uh, speakers were like cultural fire practitioners, land managers and, uh, and indigenous researchers. Um, and it was interesting leaving that talk and kind of leaving with, with the sense of, uh, of hope, mm. I guess, mm. of, 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 um, <laughs> tentative optimism, maybe, um, because, uh, these people talking about having the opportunity to do cultural burning and having in some cases, like, you know, the opportunity to do it, to take almost total control of the management of large tracts of land, uh, on their country. Uh, you know, there were, there were very, uh, there was hope and, and optimism in that conversation. Uh, they were excited about the potential for healing country and also, you know, what that would mean for, uh, you know, the positive effects that that would have for indigenous populations. Um, and I was reflecting, uh, on the way home, I went to see, see this talk with my partner, and um, reflecting on the fact that when we do research for this show and we talk about First Nations issues, you know, a lot of the time we're talking about stuff that's mm. in the news cycle, you know, yeah. that's put, yeah. put in front of us by mainstream news outlets. And that's almost always the, these absolutely devastating, horrifying mm. stories, often about deaths in custody. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the things that was talked about in this uh, lecture was that you know, these things, when it comes to repairing land and culture, happen on a really, really long time scale. Um, someone in the audience asked a question about, you know, oh, you know, you haven't been able to practice uh, cultural burning or have, you know, mm. self-determination on country for so long, you know, uh, are we going to be able to heal country? And, so, and one of the um, speakers responded, well, actually, you know, in the scale, on the scale of how long indigenous people have been here, mm. how long they've been, we've been managing this land. 270 years is, is, is a drop in the ocean. Mm. Um, but you know, it's not something, you know, when it comes to repairing the health of the environment and indigenous communities, these are not 
it's not something that you can solve with a grant and three years. Mm, mm. You know, it's not something you get immediate gratification from. It takes patience. It's a multi-generational process. Um, but nevertheless, there was this, in, um, uh, yeah, sense of excitement about the future there um, and a sense really from uh, these speakers that in in some places things really are moving in the right direction and that mm. kind of and that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, it did make me reflect a little bit on the way that we talk about indigenous mm. issues on mm. this show. And I mean, uh, yeah, I think yeah. we do try to find stories that aren't on those twenty-four hour news cycles sometimes, or like when we can. But like, I think part of the issue is that we feel a responsibility to talk about the horrible stuff, right? Like that, there's a sense of like honoring people who have died. There's a sense yeah. of not turning away from the horrors of colonialism, and so I think. Yes. It's not just, uh, I think you're right. I think we do look at news stories and they do tend to be about upsetting and horrible things. But I think it is actually a, you know, a decision that we've made about what we want the show to be like and what we pay attention to. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, it, it's always good when we can get stories about communities looking after themselves and like resisting ongoing yeah, colonialism I, and whatnot. And well, yeah, I think that the uh, loving country. one of the lessons I took from this was that often those positive stories are maybe happening outside of mm. the news, you know, mm. and and it's important for us to be looking elsewhere. Mm. And I'm sure that that applies, generally speaking, you know, across the board as well, not just uh, when it comes to First Nations issues. Yeah, but that's true. Yeah. yeah, that was just something I was reflecting on this week and wanted to share with our listeners. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, let's move on. Potluck where you bring the snacks. Okay, so someone wrote in with a correction about our shitpost of the week from a couple of weeks ago uh, when we mentioned Christine Holgate. And we love getting feedback on our fuck-ups, but we... I say we. Zach went back over it, and he thinks the only thing that we got (laughs) wrong was that the watches weren't given last year. Um, So, yeah, sorry. Well, okay, so you, you said that you... That Christine Holgate had resigned. And you immediately corrected and me then, about that. And I corrected you at the time. I said that she, you know, says that she didn't resign, yes. that she was, you know, essentially forced out. And then I said something about uh, Holgate giving executive bonuses during the pandemic, and that was wrong. That she, in fact, no Australia Post executives did get bonuses during, 2020. during the pandemic. Okay. There was, like, there were plans to, and there were news stories about that, right. and there was, like, Initially, you know, at one point, a budget of like almost $7 million or for something. Bonuses, for, yeah. And then uh, after a bit of a public outcry and then Australia Post not meeting certain targets, eventually that was scrapped. Gotcha. So, well, that's that's an L. I'm taking that L. Okay. Well, I think it was also my <laughs> L because we specifically beforehand were like, we haven't researched this. We're not planning on getting into it. Don't talk about it. It was just a good shit post that we want to shout out. And then I said, but she resigned, and and then Zach had to correct me. So anyway, yeah. Um, and then I said the wrong thing as yeah, well. So, so it, you know. look, it's all a rich tapestry. Um, but the the person who wrote in <laughs> said, "quote I think it's more damaging talking about stuff that you're not fully read up on. Podcast would be better if it was shorter, but all factual. Which you know we keep saying the same thing, but the people want long episodes <laughs> with no research. I don't know what to tell you. Thank you for the constructive <laughs> criticism, though it's extremely helpful." Uh, but uh, it'd be great if everybody who has feedback for the show could all liaise with one another 
you know, get some dialectic conversations happening. Come boil everybody's feedback down into one one thing that you can all agree on and pass it on to us in that form. That would just be really helpful. It, it would be great. That. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we look. We 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 appreciate the feedback. Um, we we don't want to say wrong things, yes, yeah, and we yeah. uh, like it when people pull us up in it. So yep. Thank you for writing in, Jack. Yep. Um, but there was... But that wasn't a, even the nearly the thing we were wrongest No, about, no, that was... Fortnite. Which was really what <laughs> I was trying to say this far. But yeah, no, you're right. There was a major correction <laughs> that we needed to do. Uh, that I got a lot of things wrong about weed uh, for f- 420. So I'm, I'm very I'm very sorry about that. Basically, everything I, I said was apparently completely wrong. Uh, but Perno decided to not only send us a potluck very cr- politely, um, correcting my many and <laughs> very, extreme very errors. Very generously. Yeah. But they also signed up on Patreon. So that's very constructive criticism. So, Perno, thank you so much. Um, and uh, here is their potluck. <laughs> that's very constructive. That's funny. Hey, Snack Pals, it's Perno here. I'm a big fan and appreciate the 420 content, but I just thought I should let you know that the info you gave about medical cannabis in Australia is actually a bit out of date. But the good news is that over the last couple of years, it has become a lot easier to access medical cannabis, but a lot of people don't actually know about it. So currently in Australia... Medical cannabis can be legally prescribed to people with a whole variety of conditions, not just things like cancer, but it also includes things like fibro, chronic pain, depression, and a bunch of other stuff. And that list is also growing. And when we talk about medical cannabis, we're not just talking nasal spray. We're talking CBD oil, THC oil, and what they call flour, which is in fact the sticky, icky bud. So you can get sativa, indica, the kinds of strains that you would be able to get through a dispensary in California, you can be legally prescribed in Australia. And most of it is actually grown here as well. So most GPs can, oh, sorry, I mean, all GPs can go through the process of getting a prescription um, approved through the TGA, but um, it can be a bit convoluted and a lot of work. So um, some GPs will be reluctant to do that. Also, some will be reluctant because stigma or they don't want to be, they're afraid of being labeled as like the gunja doctor or something. But fear not, there's other ways of accessing it. There's actually a bunch of medical cannabis clinics around the country and most of those you can access remotely so you don't even need to live in the same state as them and they have a bunch of doctors who have um, unique experience in medical cannabis so they understand the different strains and can help you find a appropriate product for your condition and Uh, You just need a referral from your GP or if you can't even get that, um, usually they'll still be able to help you out um, and you can go through, they'll uh, go through the whole TGA process for you. Um, They do come at a cost and unfortunately are not covered by Medicare currently. Um, So cost might be a bit prohibitive for some people Um, and same with the cost of the products themselves so for some reason cbd oil is like really expensive um uh you know if you're just buying bud that's a lot cheaper um and my understanding is it's 
kind of on par with the street value of sort of similar stuff. Um, but of course, that's still not financially accessible to a lot of people. So it's really important that we're advocating for our chronically ill pals who need this stuff to be okay, um, that it gets put on the PBS. So it's not just people who can afford it, who can access it. Um, if you want to know more, I recommend joining the Facebook group called Medical Cannabis Support Group. Um, good place to ask questions and find out a bit more. Um, but that's all from me. Fuck cops. Crunch, crunch. Thanks for that, Perno. That's uh, great news. Maybe I'll have to find an actual decent doctor so I can hassle them to do that. Yeah. That's really the kind of potluck we love to get. I yeah. mean, from, uh, you know, A, we were something that we were very wrong about. Yes. But also B, somebody who's like an expert, hands-on experience. We love that so much. So if you have something that uh, you have knowledge on that you'd like to contribute a little bit of that knowledge to the show about, please record yourself speaking for about a minute. If, if you can keep it to about a minute, we love that. Send it in to contact at ozpolsnackpod.com. It doesn't and, have uh, to be about stories that we've covered on the show. There's heaps no, of stuff doesn't. that we don't cover every week. And if you do a story about something we don't have to talk about, which is great because you almost certainly know more about it than we do. So... Yeah, no, please send As us As demonstrated by these two <laughs> listeners. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Cool. All right, okay. All right. You fucked up. Yeah, so... Who fucked up? <laughs> there's a couple of, couple of uh, fuck-ups this week, Zach. Um, I mean, it's all one swirling shitstorm. Um, I thought it was pretty bleak. Um, but there's just a little bit of shit that's actually the tip of a shit iceberg that the HMS Crown ah, Casino is heading straight towards um I reckon that's a real thing fatbergs are a real thing that's in sewers though yeah shit why wouldn't it be shit water soluble <laughs> which mm, fat isn't that's I why i guess it depends uh, on the uh liquid that it's in. System. yeah, yeah go there on. might be shitbergs in doesn't matter doesn't matter <laughs> all right Crowd Casinos has been punished by the Victorian Commission for Gaming and Liquor Regulation, the Vicagiller, um, VCGLR. Um, Don't you guys love jokes about politics? I do. So Crown has been punished because they had high roller <laughs> junkets. Um, what is a junket? Basically, uh, a bunch of extremely wealthy tourists from China get flown over on a private plane and don't have to go through customs and come and gamble in a private gambling room in the top of Crown and get lots of free drinks. Um, it might also be organized crime and money laundering. Um, so technically, yeah, crime, uh, sorry, Crown is being punished for inadequate record keeping <laughs> uh, and failing to follow nice. regulations, not for the organized crime and money laundering, alleged organized crime and money laundering. Um, mm. So the punishment from the Vakagular has two parts. One is a $1 million fine, which is the maximum fine that um, that body is able to give. <laughs> That's amazing. That's am You're literally the body set up specifically to regulate casinos. Companies yeah. with some of the, the, these massive fucking profit yeah. margins in the, the biggest fine you can dish so out is that $1 is million. That's amazing. Sorry, 2,240th of Crown's annual profit. That's not their annual income, it's the annual profit. And that was in... This is really going to stay. That was in 2020. The next time they do alleged organized crime and money laundering, yeah. they're really going to think 2,240 times about that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and so look, I mean, you already kind of got to this, but like the generous reading, I was like, why would there be a $1 million fine here? And I came up with two answers, and the generous one is the legislation is aimed at pubs that have pokies in them. But the uh, almost cert- <laughs> yeah, the almost certainly <laughs> correct reason is that the casinos wrote the legislation. Um, and on a related yeah. note, uh, Chief Catherine Myers said last year that she had just two staff on duty each day to oversee casinos yeah. and no coercive powers. So yeah, yeah, clearly the- like the toothlessness of the of the gambling regulator down here is like. No coincidence. Fa- like famous, yeah. we're famous for being really, really shit at regulated casinos yep. in Victoria. Yep. That's why this whole situation with Barangaroo and the New South Wales being like, these guys are very obviously doing huge, huge crimes. Yeah. No, you can't build a casino here. Yeah. We can see your crimes from New South Wales. Yeah. And Victoria is like, oh, um, could yes, you please give us five dollars? Forward- <laughs> 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 it's fine to give it in. Casino chips. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, you're right, Zach. But there is the, so part of the punishment was one million dollar fine, and the other part is a letter of censure, which temporary. Oh no! Oh jeez! <laughs> so, oh boy! <laughs> it's it- that's going to send them running with tail between legs. It's it's funny because I think this is actually the worst punishment um but uh, it, it temporarily bans them from participating in junkets until they can prove that they have proper oversight and governance and i heard a former victorian labor gaming minister on radio national this week saying that he thought that this was actually yeah the real punishment because it cut off a big income stream and like again if this alleged money laundering is going on it cuts off a lot of their money laundering capacity yeah it cuts <laughs> off a huge alleged crime money stream exactly yeah but the um, and also that like this i mean yeah the the the, the whole proper proper oversight and governance thing like well in new south wales with in the uh what was that report called the bergen report bergen yeah bergen yeah yeah uh, about whether or not you know the crown could uh, was a fit and proper person mm, to hold mm. the license at Barangaroo. They were like, "Yeah, meaningful change at this company means firing the entire board." Yes, yeah, and exactly. So this this packer not being in charge anymore. This former Labor gaming minister, he was he was there in the Brumby government. Um, it was clearly also <laughs> had been bribed many times by the casino. Allegedly, <laughs> no, this is satire. It's not alleged. I'm I'm making a joke. He'd clearly been bribed many times, and he was kind of like, "Ha ha ha!" Me laughing at your joke. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Um. That's watertight. Legally, that's watertight. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, we got Gina Reinhardt's publishers on our on our legal team. <laughs> this is dedicated to Aussie Mother. You can't you, sue you us. Literally can't sue us. It's all right, guys. It's on book website. Um. So, uh, but this guy thought that it was going to take at least a year for them to be able to show that they weren't likely to imminently commit more crimes. Um, and part of the reason that he thought that was exactly, as you said, the Bergen report has found that they're not fit to hold a casino license in New South Wales. And Crown has invested, like, I, I didn't actually look up, but it's like tens or hundreds of millions of dollars into the Barangaroo Casino, and now they're not allowed to own it. Billions. <laughs> Billions? Yeah, I think it's the $2 billion Jeez, development from memory. fucking Christ. Don't, don't quote me on that, but yeah. I'm fairly certain... I did a whole bunch this, of research for a story on this and never we, we didn't just never ended up talking it, yeah. about it on the show. So yeah. I have these stray facts bouncing around the back of my skull, Great. occasionally shooting out in um, 
totally unprompted fashion. Well, Sorry. I mean, like, I didn't look it up. You don't remember properly. Hopefully, Jack can <laughs> remind Somewhere us. Somewhere in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, hopefully we have a listener who just loves casinos. <laughs> can tell us all about their money. Uh, yeah, but they're not allowed to own Barangaroo now. Uh, and they also found that they'd been doing money laundering and so on. So, like, uh, they Crown is going to try and get their shit together so that they can own Barangaroo, but it looks like it's going to be difficult. Uh, Victoria has also established a royal commission to investigate Crown's alleged criminal activity, and the report for that's due to come out in August. So it's unlikely that Crown is going to be able to prove that they're like fit and proper and responsible and able to recommence junkets before then or for some time after that, because like they'll have to respond to the shit in that report. And Western Australia has also opened an inquiry, uh, quote, with the powers of a royal commission into Crown Casino. So like they are getting shat on by state governments around the entire country. Um, however, the Vukagalar did not release its detailed reasons for its findings, as Crown argued the information was, quote, valuable and could be used by criminals to launder money at its casino. So... Oh, boy! <laughs> that is to say... That is so fucking rich! The lawyers oh for Crown God. managed to convince the VCGLR that if they released their findings about how Crown, A launders money, and B, invites organized crime to come and do crime at that casino, then criminals might be able to exploit that somehow. Huge thinky emoji going on here. The the just the depth of the chutzpah. (laughs) It's pretty amazing. To to say that shit with a straight face, I mean, it's no wonder that these guys are making huge amounts of crime money. I mean... Yeah. Allegedly. <laughs> Here's the thing about the, the, money, the, the money laundering, though. I don't even know if we have to say that it's... Well, no, well, it's been found by the I Bergen report. Well, that's, it was, the- exactly, it's found in this report, so if, whether or not it's still, mm. you know... I, I guess that isn't, like, a legal... You know, they haven't been found guilty of it. They have been found in court or whatever, so I don't know. But, like, yeah. it's... <laughs> so it seems pretty obvious to me that this is because they don't want incriminating shit that the VCGLR has uncovered to be shared with the Royal Commission uh, because it's going to be even more crime than was found by the Bergen Inquiry. So, like, that that seems extremely likely to me that, yeah, VCGLR actually found some really vital information that has up until now been kept secret um, that they don't want the Victorian and Western Australian government inquiries to to know about. But they're in this kind of weird situation where it's like there's, they're literally specifically designed to be incapable mm. of actually doing, like, of, of regulating mm. Crown mm. at all. Mm. That's, you know, they've been completely captured. Yeah. But now the Victorian government is politically in this place where the New South Wales regulator has been like, this is fucking crimes. And now they have to be like, oh, oh, totally. Uh, the fact that we haven't found any <laughs> bad stuff for the last five years is just... Uh, a, a coincidence, yeah, and we're yeah. bringing the review forward. And so, like, I, I mean, how are you going to overnight turn this toothless baby chihuahua yeah. into like a vicious attack dog? Yep. But I, I just, I, well, I don't know. I'm curious to a, see is what what will happen. I have a, a quote from an AFR article from 2020 that I thought really sums up what you've just said. How do you okay. keep a casino <laughs> secret? Just share it with the Victorian Commission for Gaming and Liquor Regulation. They'll spread the word only after seven years. Ooh, that's a that's a real journalistic burn. Journalist burn, yeah. 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 
Uh, so you fucked up. Yeah, Ghost of Crown. Suck to him. And Good job, team. You both uh, you both fucked up real bad. You fucked up. Uh, okay. Thank you for that, Noon. <laughs> Sorry. It's just the, the deep frustration of anything to do with the Crown. Um, hey, at least, look. The silver lining for James Packer is that he uh, hates every second of managing that shadow managing that business which is tech technically not the ceo of anymore mm-hmm. but has been pulling the strings from the shadows and now he can just go and continue to chill out on his boat with his literal millions of dollars anyway now it's time to move on hey man i got some more beers oh i don't know if i can drink anymore i'm feeling kind of sick no come on we're having another round of coronas yeah so as of about 13 hours ago at time of recording the government has made it illegal for Australians to fly home from India for at least the next two weeks. Whoa. That's what we're going to be talking about for the next little bit. Um, I guess as a kind of, I don't know, preamble, disclaimer, something. The, the, I find a lot of the coverage around these issues kind of troubling. Like there's this perspective of, you know, the most important thing that we could possibly talk about talk about is the fate of Australian citizens. Mm-hmm affected by, you know, disasters in other countries, um, which mm. always kind of wigs me out. Mm. But so, you know, I, I, I don't want to contribute to that, uh, but also, you know, we're an Australian political podcast, yeah. and what we want to look at here is the Australian government's response to, you know, what is happening in India with COVID. So, you know, I, I'm not trying to emphasize the lives of Australian citizens sure. over other people. It's just about kind of, you know, what our institutions have mm-hmm. kind of control over mm-hmm. in a situation. So just quickly, an overview of the situation in uh, in India, if you haven't been keeping up with that, uh, they've been having an extreme, really, really extreme COVID wave. Um, they uh, their, their first wave, like, they kept pretty well under control, uh, um, like, according to a lot of people, like, surprisingly well. Uh, but now they have just set the record for the highest ever average daily infections 350,000 new cases a day which that's is just, of a million that's ridiculous yeah, yeah incomprehensible numbers so you know hospitals are full to overflowing there's a critical shortage of oxygen yeah thousands and thousands of people are dying every day um there are massive funeral pyres being constructed uh in car parks to you know uh to burn the bodies of the dead, you know, there's a new, especially virulent strain. I think it emerged in in uh, New Delhi from memory. Like, it's just really, really bad over there. And um, uh, in terms of, you know, why it's particularly bad, um, uh, I've got a quote here from Arundhati Roy in the Guardian. Uh, she's uh, an Indian novelist mm-hmm. uh, and uh, political activist. If you don't know her, uh, she writes. Uh, and actually, I'm, I'm going to link this article because it's quite an impressive, um, it, it's a pr- pretty incredible pr- piece of writing. So I'll put that in the show notes. But um, uh, here's a quote from it. The tragedy is that in this devastatingly poor country, as a 2016 Lancet study shows, 78% of the healthcare in urban areas and 71% in rural areas is now handled by the private sector. Healthcare is a fundamental right. The private sector will not cater to starving, sick, dying people who don't have money this massive privatization of india's healthcare is a crime mm. and the broader political context in india at the moment is like deeply deeply upsetting i mean modi is 
possibly one like is easily one of the um most terrifying mm. uh people in charge of a yep. country at the moment yep. like yeah, his history is really up there really with dark. duterte he loves hitler yeah yeah, yeah. That's i mean not a yeah exaggeration. he's he, just he, no and he's essentially a fascist yeah. i mean he comes from a fa- fa- fascist organization and has participated in hate crimes uh genocide um but in any event Let's bring it back to Australia. So the situation here, the story in Australia starts with the Perth lockdown. So there was a three-day lockdown last week over the Anzac Day weekend. Mm -hmm. So those of you uh, who think that coronavirus is just Mm -hmm. a deep state Mm -hmm. attempt to shut down celebration of our diggers. It's proof correct. There's your proof. Um, So this lockdown was triggered by someone who was diagnosed in Victoria uh, after contracting corona in the hotel in hotel quarantine in Perth, okay. but they weren't uh, symptomatic, um, so he got it for the from the people next door to him in quarantine, yep. who themselves got it from a couple staying opposite them. That's right. I had heard quarantine. about that about peop- the opposite room or something. Don't, yeah, yeah. So and and that those people who were uh, you know who infected the others uh, were, was a couple who had just returned from getting married right. in India. So, yeah, as you say, Noon, the, the, this um, aerosol transmission mm. is now mm. becoming a bit of a buzzword in uh, Australian COVID discourse. Basically, that hotel quarantine isn't set up to stop aer- aerosol transmission. Right. There are plans to develop technologies to stop this involving something called negative pressure. And yeah, I am not yeah. a science guy. But as far as I'm concerned, it's just pushing all the COVID out a window. That's basically what's happening. I think that's right, yes. <laughs> at some point later on. <laughs> I haven't looked into it. Please don't. We don't need a potluck about. Well, maybe we do if it's interesting. Anyway, so in response don't to don't correct you know, us this... on the basis that you think that we thought that was correct. Yeah. <laughs> Only correct us if yeah. you think it might be cool. Yeah, we welcome more information. We welcome <laughs> yeah. more information. Um. Uh, okay. So yeah. So uh, in response to this um, small outbreak in ho- in hotel mm-hmm. quarantine, which was kicked off by um, a, a couple who had just returned from from India. Mark McGowan halved uh, international arrivals cap in Western Australia from just over 1,000 to just over 500. Uh, he publicly called for the government to suspend flights from India, and he called India, quote, an epicenter for death and destruction, which is a troubling way to describe mm. another country, mm-hmm. to say the least. Mm-hmm. Um, got a quote here from Liz Hicks in the conversation. She writes, a defective system not designed to accommodate aerosol transmission will continue to leak even with the reduced cap. It will merely do so at a lower rate. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Uh, makes sense. Uh, on top of that, the Western Australian government was warned over a month ago that there was a high risk of contamination because of ventilation issues at this particular hotel quarantine site. It's the Mercure Hotel is the name you'll probably have been noticing in the headlines. Um but, oh, no, the, it's because there's too many cases in India. That's the problem with our hotel quarantine. Right, right, right. Uh, <laughs> we haven't even started fucking talking about vaccines yet. Yep. But so here you see the groundwork starting to be laid for, you know, we have a small outbreak here. We've got problems with the hotel, quor- hotel quarantine system. Uh, and, you know, because people uh, from India have been returning and few of them have been testing positive, suddenly, you know, this is the problem. Yeah, right? yeah. Which is... You know, pretty fucking transparent if you ask mm-hmm. me. So anyway, so now all flights from India have been suspended 
until the 15th of May. Um, uh, here's a quote from the ABC. The flight ban from India was triggered by the rise in COVID-19 cases and passengers in hotel quarantine. Mr. Morrison said the total number of weekly COVID-19 cases in hotel quarantine had risen from 90, which was within the expected range, to 143. And then they've got a quote from him. In this past week, we saw that rise, and that was particularly in areas such as the Northern Territory and in New South Wales, where we have direct flights coming in from India to both of those areas. And then uh, Palaszczuk uh, also spoke out in favour of suspending flights. He says, suspending flights, quote, will be difficult for families, but it is the right decision at this time. So you've got Labour state leaders, you've got the federal government as well, all basically coming together and saying, this rise in COVID cases in Australia is due to what's happening in India, and it's, oh boy, it's a hard and tough decision to stop flights coming in from this country, but we just got to do it. Uh, so, as... And I, by the way, I wrote most of these notes before uh, the government made it a fucking crime yeah. to return yeah. to Australia from India. Uh, but that's what happened. Uh, uh, they night, they right? announced the suspension. And then, yeah, as of midnight last night, a time of recording, uh, they have it's I've got it written in here somewhere. It's like an enormous fine or fucking five years jail. Just anyway, we can talk about it some more. So there are. Huh, I remember. Again, I, I remember they gave a uh, uh, three hundred thousand dollar fine and, and five years jail to those guys in the Ruby Princess. So yeah, that makes sense. That's what the, yeah, the Ruby Princess inmates. That's the as the famous the phrase known. comes yeah, from. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, there's nine thousand Australian citizens, and again, you know, those aren't the nine thousand most important people. Totally. In India at the moment. But, but they are the 9,000 the people that our government yeah. is specifically screwing uh, tell- over. <laughs> exactly. There's 9,000 Australian citizens in India at the moment, and uh, the figure being thrown around at the moment by uh, a lot of media is that around 600 of those people have been deemed as especially vulnerable, either medically or financially. Uh, so, in other words, there's a lot of people who could really use some help mm-hmm. uh, in India at the moment that we have direct responsibility for, or our government has direct responsibility for. So, anyway, let's... Think back now. We'll, uh, maybe we'll put a, a little time machine style wind chime in here. Thank you, Noon. Perfect. Remember when the US and the UK were having the biggest spikes in infections globally? Oh, yeah. 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 Uh-huh. Remember when we banned flights from the US and the UK? Um, no? Oh, <laughs> hmm. That's weird. Uh, let me check my notes. Oh. No, we didn't. That's weird. Oh, huh, that's so strange. My time machine is busted, I guess. It went back into a dimension in which our government isn't racist. Huh. Oh, what's that? That could never happen because the very concept of Australia is based on racism? Correct. This is a fictional scenario. Well done. But we did ban people coming from China. And then we put people who arrived from China in detention on Christmas Island. Hmm. I wonder if there's a bit of a pattern emerging here. So, Well, you see, thing... white people don't spread coronavirus, Zach. Oh, okay. Great. <sighs> Jeez, yeah. I didn't even want no. to continue that bit. Yeah, yeah. maybe we could cut that no, out. It's... <laughs> Look, you are correctly embodying the spirit of... Your critique. The uh, governmental yeah. and also general public's attitude about this. So yeah. the other thing to note this week, and this was pointed out in The Guardian, is that India has fewer corona cases per capita uh-huh. than the US or UK did at their peak. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of, the, one of the caveats on this is that the cases case count in India is probably undercounted. Yeah. But even still, experts reckon that 
cases per capita in India are less mm-hmm. than US or UK at their peaks. And people were returning from the US and the UK at those points at much higher rates than people are returning from India. So the idea that it's like more likely that somebody returning from India now will be COVID positive than somebody returning from totally. the US or UK yeah. three, four months ago. Garbage, fucking bullshit. Also, here's a, here's a little quote from that Guardian article. The UK and the US were also responsible for a greater share of overseas acquired cases in Australia at the height of their outbreaks, according to data released by the New South Wales Health Department. It's almost like the issue Just, is our hotel quarantine system. It could be that the issue is... Uh, Something uh, other than a, India. A, a brutal cocktail of racism and bureaucratic malfeasance. Yeah. Uh, so, you know... I don't want to downplay like the size of the situation case India. numbers yeah, over there. In yeah, terms yeah. of real numbers, uh, India does have heaps of cases. Uh, they're, they're getting up towards 19 million now, which is mind-boggling. The UK has had 4.4 million. The mm, US is mm. the only country that's had more cases than India at 32 million. But that's still quite a bit higher. Yeah. <laughs> that's quite a lot more it's cases. Like nearly um, double, and I think they have like a third of the number of people as India, so... Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, so, given all this evidence, um, uh, perhaps I'll uh, insert here a little meme from Owen Sprod in the Ellspole Shitposting Facebook group who posted a little screen cap of the Guardian article being like, huh, why is our response different to people coming from India huh. than people coming from the US hmm. and the UK? And he's done a little edit of Mulder uh, saying, I'm not saying it's aliens, but it's aliens, but instead he's saying... I'm not saying it's racism, but it's racism. Mm. Is it really so hard to believe, Scully? Um, So it was also pointed out in The Guardian that Australians who develop COVID in Australia will have much better medical care here. So we have an ethical obligation to accept the risk of having them return, Mm. which, yes, cool, fine, but it also kind of raises broader questions for me. I haven't got a particularly well-formed take on this, but it's like, you know, okay, we have an obligation to our citizens Mm. that are over there, but, you know, what about the people over there who aren't our citizens? Mm. You know, Mm. if we're in a position to be helping them and we would be in a much better position to help them if we're able to get our own fucking shit in order here first. Sorry, Zach, are you saying that we need some kind of, like, international solidarity between the working class to... uh... (laughs) Hey, mayday! And look, we have sent some uh, medical aid. I haven't looked into it a huge amount but from what i've seen it doesn't seem to be a particularly significant amount i mean you know we're talking about absolutely in yeah incomprehensible scales here but we could be doing a lot lot more we could be doing much much more so yeah so this new develop now as of saturday morning uh here here are the figures okay uh, returning to Australia from India is now a crime punishable by a maximum of $66,000 fine or five years jail. So one thing you'll see getting from India. <laughs> yeah. Comfortably. Um, uh, one thing that, that, that has been thrown around by the media is that this is the first time that Australian citizens have ever been banned from coming back to Australia. Uh-huh. That makes sense. Um, I don't know if it's the first time that we've singled out a specific country like this. Maybe we did it to China initially. I mean, yeah. We definitely like treated people returning from China 
very differently, differently to people yeah. returning from other countries. But I think as far as like banning people from coming right. from another country, I think it's the first time that we've done this like specifically with another country as opposed to our kind of more generalized and racialized policies well, I think also with who China, can't it, come to Australia. It was people who'd been in Wuhan within the last 14 days or something. Um, yeah, but I don't think it, they were uh, banned from returning. No, that's right. No, no. And, and yeah. like um, we saw an example uh, of some people who I think they were the couple who triggered this legislation that flew via Doha or something. They they went through the Middle East and then caught a plane from there to Australia. Yeah. Um, and the government's like, hey, no, we have to make this a crime so people don't come through Doha. But that was, I think, acceptable for China if it had been 14 days. Anyway, whatever. It's fine. Um, Gotcha. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, so... Let's call it what it is. It's fucking racist. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not exactly... It's, it's not new in in the sense of, like... I mean, it's it's new in this, in this specific iteration yeah. about making yep. it about this particular country. Um, but, like, realistically, you know, obviously, this country has a long and proud history of enforcing brutal border, border control measures. Mm-hmm. Um you know, uh, we, we, we've been practicing this shit on non, on non-citizens who come to this country for a long time. But I think it is proof that these kinds of violent policies never stop with you know the other. Mm, mm. Um, the, the governments will always expand these kinds of powers and use them on their own citizens. Um, uh, little question for you, Noon: mm. Is it still Foucault's boomerang if it was technically being deployed on the like? in the homeland in mm. the first place, but just on people who went from the homeland? Yeah, I, th- I think Foucault would count that. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. We got to... Can I get my Foucault's boomerang air horn? <laughs> boom, 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 boom. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay, political comedy. All right, so... um, To sum up, here's, here's what we have here. Four little... uh. Four, four nice little points. We've got an absolutely... One, we've got an absolutely horrifying health crisis in another country. Two, a government-controlled domestic health response in hotel quarantine that has been proven time and time again to not mm-hmm. only be effective, but the governments were warned about the flaws in the system ahead of time. And uh, point two A, where the fuck are the vaccines? Three, an attempt <laughs> yeah. to deflect responsibility and conversation away from their ineffective health response to right, a tragedy right. elsewhere. And fourth, a moment of crisis being used to take racist border policies that have been tried mm-hmm. out on refugees and turn them back on citizens, which is, to be clear, not any less, any more outraging no, than no. it being yeah. practiced on non-citizens, but like, you know... It is a new thing. <laughs> I didn't think the leopards would eat my face, said <laughs> yeah. the man who voted for the le- face-eating leopards party. Um, that should be so, a fucking tagline. That should, I yeah. Welcome back to Oswald Snackpot. I didn't think the leopards would eat my face. <laughs> the leopards face. would eat my face. It might be the most useful tweet I've ever read. <laughs> yeah. I've um, used it like six times since you said it to me a week or two ago. Uh, like, I'd heard <laughs> it before, but really, you really, like, uh, read it. It's good. Home. I'm bringing it back. I'm bringing yeah. it back. So, uh, you know, look, I don't know if that analysis is particularly sophisticated or different from what you're going to get elsewhere, but I don't know if I have any other conclusions sure. to draw from this and other than, like, our racist government is using using racism as... To be racist. To, to be racist as, you know, to deflect from their failure at a federal and state level to contain, you know, the very small amount of the virus that we have mm. to deal with here. Mm. Uh, and also using it as an excuse in in classic uh, shock doctrine Naomi Klein uh, fashion 
to uh, normalize mm. and implement even more fascist border policies. So, you know, I, I, we can chat about this further, but, you know, Noon, you and I, I, I don't know if we've really developed a super consistent or even coherent uh, position on border control throughout COVID. I think mm. we've sort of flip-flopped a little bit between, yeah. oh, you know, it makes sense in certain contexts, trying to contain the virus and stuff. But I'm going to be honest, you know, with this new development and the more I think about it, the less and less in favor of border yeah. controls I am. I mean, I, um, I haven't thought about this enough to, like, come forward with my definite... This is my I am opinion. kind of putting you on the spot. Yeah, yeah. sure. But I guess, uh, you know, I remember what the first time we reported on COVID, I got that story and I went away and we were both like, fucking racist government. And then I came back and I was like, oh, no, it looks like this is going to be a real bad pandemic and it's probably a good thing to keep the borders shut. But that was literally at the very start when no one knew anything mm. about it. We have had more than a year now to develop an effective quarantine program. Uh, yep. Plenty of other countries have built quarantine facilities or like fucking had them in advance because they're not a bunch of useless dickheads i mean most of them are <laughs> but like so they still managed to get like preemptive measures yeah. that, that australia yeah. obviously like we're well behind the eight ball on every catastrophe that we know about so like it makes sense that we are with this one as well but like we could have built a useful quarantine facility by now uh several and 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 we haven't and now we take it out on india yeah well no, we or, need to find a scapegoat for it exactly but like yeah the government has the federal government has been so fucking reluctant to take any kind of responsibility right, for right. this so the first step was to kind of force the responsibility for it onto the states the- and then you know everything's kind of this weird semi-privatized version of it where you've got like, you know... You outsource covered... the quarantine, you outsource exactly, the security you got dodgy... for the quarantine. Exactly. All, all, all this stuff here. And like, you know, obviously we know <laughs> that any kind of capitalist endeavor, the first, uh, the, like the first motive is going to be profit. Yeah. Keeping that bottom line looking healthy. It's not going to be whatever the fucking job there was supposedly hired for in the first no, place, right, which yeah. means that health and safety and, and all that kind of stuff is going to come second. So, but, you know, as far as, no, and also, you know, g- getting people coming home who have to quarantine, making them fucking pay for it themselves it's as well, it's which so is fucked. one of the most there, cooked There policies. was a good point that uh, the guest on the party room made this week. I can't remember who it was. Um, some, uh, maybe it was I David love Spence. the party room. You always keep shoving the party room in my face. Yeah. <laughs> I told you, it, really, it, it scarred me when you said that. <laughs> um, no, but uh, uh, he made the point that... Um, like the government wouldn't have responded even this well to coronavirus if they'd had a choice, as we see with the bushfires, as we see with like mm. the crisis of violence against women, as we see with mm. the crisis of indigenous deaths in custody, like mm. climate change. There's 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 nothing that the government has ever been told they need to do that they've then dealt with appropriately, except coronavirus. Mm. And the reason for that is it's not a government decision. It was the chief health officer who. Mm. who told the prime minister i am calling a pandemic you now have to follow this legislation that says that you have to deal with it and so it makes mm. perfect sense that we have this shoddy fucking In- extremely hard because they dragging their feet, don't want to deal with like, it and have been no. forced to by a fucking public servant <laughs> no it's yeah. definitely not why anybody in power like got it in the first place they're not there to, to ensure the safety Effective of the people in this of country <laughs> health 
And decisions. yeah, this is what happens. Like when you have a system specifically designed to put people who, you know, are seeking power for power's sake and self-enrichment, enrichment for them, for their buddies, you know, or like at the most generous reading, the enforcement of a viciously conservative ideological mm, agenda. Mm, mm. <laughs> like, and then, and then you're like, Hey, could you please potentially take a hit to your ratings in order to make people safe? not die? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Let me think real fucking hard about while that I'm one. on holiday Can I get back in to you on Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anyway, I- yeah. So look. <laughs> I, to, to sum up, I do think that any kind of pro borders shit just leads in really, really, really yep. bad directions. And, yep. and and the deeper we get into corona, I f- the more I feel like hard border responses are just yep. a callous and, and racist knee-jerk reaction. In other words, quintessentially Australian. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. I mean, love that our national response to a horrific tragedy happening elsewhere is for us to be like, oh, stay the fuck away. Quickly close the door, <laughs> like, like slamming the deadbolt shut. Like, uh, Mr. Morrison, your grandmother with. is being mugged out there. Lock the door. Lock it at once. Chain the door <laughs> shut. Grandma, stay the fuck away. Yeah. Yeah, so it's pretty upsetting. Um, boy, I really hope that um, things get better soon mm, in India, mm. but it really doesn't seem likely. I mean, this is not, you know, we, we, I, I try not to talk about uh, international politics too much because it's hard to stay, you know, informed enough on what's mm, happening in mm. more than one country in order to speak on it with any kind of, like, uh, integrity. But, like, you know, they're still having massive fucking political rallies and elections over there. Yep. You know, there, there's a, there's a real uh, reluctance from the government to face reality. I mean, yeah, like we've our government here has been ab- totally reluctant to take any responsibility for this, but it do, it pales in comparison mm. to what mm. Modi and his uh, goons are doing over there. So I don't know, I don't know. Say, I, or, uh, what, what can we do but offer kind of, uh, you know, <laughs> love and solidarity to the to the people over there, and mm. um, you know, trying to. Uh, talk about what little we can do over here in order to try and help people who are suffering over there. So anyway, that's uh, probably enough on that. Sure. Um, Noon, we have a new sting. We do. It's very exciting. And the six people that get the reference are going to absolutely love it. That is a generous (laughs) estimate. That's a generous well, estimate. Well, as you and me, I know of at least one other person who listens who will get it, so... Uh, where is it? If you want a podcast, you gotta do a lot of shit. That's not technically podcasting, you still gotta do that shit. Yeah, so this is our, our business section. <laughs> Thank you, Zach, that's, that's fucking beautiful. It's, uh, I wish that song was better. <laughs> I wish it was better too, but we're always trying to make the business section more fun so that you people really <laughs> stick to it, not just listen to it, but do the stuff we say in it. So I'm hoping this little, this catchy little ditty will maybe. That's also why we run. have our pup date at the very end of the show so that you have to sit through the business to get to the pup date. But also now we have a fun, funky sting. Yeah. So the show is because like the uh, greater and greater proportion of the show is just becoming us 
uh, begging people to uh, leave us reviews a review <laughs> yeah. on Apple Podcasts. We, we keep getting new patrons, but we don't keep getting new reviews. So thank you. Thank yeah. you for signing up a patron. It is lovely. We love that. That's Please so leave nice. us reviews because they're also lovely and so nice. Reviews, and... Are, reviews are great. Yeah. Have you left us a review lately? Let us know. We've loved In to, review we've form. We'd love to know about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's send us a review that says, I am giving you a review. Uh, we, we'll we read it out. That. Also... Facebook, Ospol Snackpod, and Ospol Shitposting Facebook group. Join up, uh, answer the questions. Instagram, follow us on there. We post once a week when we post an episode. Uh, Twitter, Noon and I both occasionally tweet when we remember to. Uh, so you but, get a lot uh, of the same tonal whiplash that comes with the show from reading out yeah. tweets in order, because Zach is always like, prison abolition is necessary to prevent crimes against humanity, and I'm like... Um, Excuse me, podcaster from 2016. Here is a <laughs> Simpsons joke. I've actually just listened to your episode on uh, the election of Donald Trump, and I have some thoughts. Um, so, oh yeah, plus the Patreon. You know, you know what it is. Patreon. We're we're, we're going to change. We're trying to. Ch- we're in the process of trying to change the currency from US dollars to Australian dollars. It's turning out to be kind of protracted, uh, irritatingly. So at the moment, if you sign up for one US dollar a month, which Patreon helpfully translates into $1.50 Australian per month, you get a monthly bonus episode. We're behind at the moment, but we're about to catch up. We're going to put out two in the month of May. Our most recent one is uh, us reading Gina Reinhardt's joke book. And uh, you get to listen to our souls being crushed in real time. Yeah. Yeah. Rent. Absolutely rent. uh, yeah, and, high uh, levels, uh, you know, get you other stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and as I mentioned before, uh, we're just about to record. After we finish recording this, we're going to do another bonus episode where I'm going to tell Zach all about why the liberals like to say they're good economic managers, responsible economic managers. Yeah, yeah. So that's going to be coming out next week. Is the plan? Yeah. Yep. So uh, it's bonus content city right now. Now's the time to hop on the Ospol Snack Pod Patreon train. Uh, and we'd love it if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you could leave us a review. Okay, thank you very much. Now it's time for a pop game. Listen to the business, and now you have the reward of us uh, awkwardly describing what our dogs have been up to mm-hmm. for the last week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's uh, what's Baker been up to, Nick? I mean, not a whole lot. It's same old, but um, I thought, you know, last week I mentioned I'd got those tryptophan treats, which incidentally I've got right here. They're called... Oh, yeah. Be calm with a B. Can shake those for the listeners? You get that tryptophan goodness in your ear holes. Uh, I think they actually work really well. I, I, uh, a week later, I've done some tests of walking him with them, without them, with drugs, and with the tryptophan without them. Um, and I think they are reasonably effective. So that's cool. It's great. Um, little no- calm down snacks. Yeah. For bagel. It's yeah. a little... Uh... I'm trying to think of what the equivalent for a cal- of a calm-down snack for me would be. Oh, I mean, I guess it's a weed cookie. Mm. <laughs> yeah. You can't get um, mum pheromone, human mum pheromone cookies. Huh. Not yet, anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, what's Dante been up to? Um, you you finished well, the uh, the trick, the tuck trick. You posted yeah, it yeah, so he, he can tuck now. Yeah, I posted a video of it to it. So if you, you know... You want videos of Dante doing the occasional trick? Uh, sign up to Patreon. Get on the Discord. Um, yeah, Holly described it as a video that 
shows a hint of peen. So of, of uh, your peen? Yeah. Oh. Well, because you know he's like sitting in the yes, he's sitting in between my legs as I'm sure. sitting on the chair. So you know, sorry about that. Or you're welcome. Um, or you're welcome. As the case d- depending. Yeah, I, mm. I I don't know. But the <laughs> Dante did. He has. He's he's getting tucked down. Uh, better and better where he comes and tucks in under my chair on command, which is very cute. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise this week, uh, oh, I, had a, I had a sad incident in the garden yesterday where there was an injured mouse mm. um, who I think had been attacked by a cat or something. And they kind of crawled into our garden and um, uh, yeah, they were quite sort of messed up, but like we didn't notice for a while. Mm. The mouse is just kind of sitting there and Dante who normally like is after small animals, like a shot, was sitting like a meter away from this mouse, completely unaware that the mouse was hanging out near him. And uh, to like very carefully, as if we were like dismantling a fucking landmine or something, try to call Dante inside without allowing him to like turn Look his in head the direction slightly. of the... Yeah. 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 Uh, which worked. Yeah. Unfortunately, the mouse um, did die. It was really sad. Mm. Um but uh, but Dante didn't eat anything gross, which is a plus site. Yeah, yeah. That's a pup date. Cool. I think that'll probably do us for this week for Ospol Snack Pod. Um, oh, another bumper episode. Yeah. Um, are you making it to the end? Let us know. You have one hour and forty-two minutes spare. This well, no, probably even longer. Hmm. You have you have almost two hours spare to listen to this. But hey, we want to know about it. Let us know. Write in. Send us a message on the Discord or on the Facebook or tweet at us, you know. We want to hear from you. You like what we talk about, you didn't like about, we'll get right and wrong. You know, a bit of a... What's the word I'm looking for? Engagement, you know? You can wrap it up. You don't have to do the wrap it no, up sign I, at me. I can't. You have to say uh, 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 that's, the thing okay, that we that's, say at the end of fair. the show. That's, <laughs> that's fair. So back when we were interviewing Lydia Thorpe, um, <laughs> where well, I was, I, I was the one who started it off, and I started talking to Lydia, and I was like, we we're both quite anxious about doing mm-hmm. the interview. We're, we're, we're nervous, and um, uh, you know, some people's reaction when they get a little bit anxious is to maybe talk a little bit much, and I was maybe taking a little bit too long, or uh, asking Lydia the first question, and Noon, who was sitting next to me, clearly like also. Extreme, like vibratingly anxious. Yeah, I was. Was yeah. like getting more and more anxious with every passing word that I didn't hand it off to Lydia, and started kind of doing the frantic like wrap it up motion and maybe this hand. And I was like, that just cranked my anxiety up like <laughs> well past ten. And I was like, ha ah, ah. ha. And you can hear on the record if you listen back when I'm asking that first question to Lydia, you can hear me being short of breath with anxiety. Oh no. So anyway, that's what yeah. it reminded me of when you were yeah, like. Cool. Uh, Wrap it up. It's all right. I didn't hold it against you. Um, (laughs) Because I was. It was was a bad time for all consent. Yeah. Yeah, but look, we got through it. Uh, Anyway, thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, Keep on snacking in the free world. Being happy brings healthy heart and beauty. Crunch, crunch. (laughs) We got there in the end. All right.